0: Welcome into Inside the Arc, everyone. It is Alec Bussey. Happy to be back from vacation, I think. It's been a while, the last 36 or 48 hours. Sim has heard all about it. We were supposed to record this a day earlier, but I had some wild travel uh, details over the last two days. So I am running on fumes here with a six-hour time difference. But Sim, how are we doing? How are you doing? That's what's really important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm good. I I, I think it's interesting, like, how, since I stopped be writing, how, like, inverse our schedules are like i feel like during the the basketball season itself you're writing multiple articles a week you know especially like the day of day after game i'm just kind of chilling i'll watch a game i'll take some notes and then now like you're in hawaii and like this is the time where i'm writing like 1300 word big boards and things like that like it's just it's kind of funny how our schedules are inverse but i got all of my content out of the way i might do another youtube video in the next day or two but uh now that's out of the way i'm just like nervously excited for the draft. Like.
0: Yeah, this 100%. whole episode. Yeah, this whole episode. We're going to talk about the NBA draft, which is, of course, on the 23rd. I believe that's Thursday. Yeah, that's Thursday. Uh, Thursday night. That's on ESPN. So you should be able to watch that. Of course, the NBA finals have come to an end with the Warriors continuing their dynasty, I guess you could say, in a way. And college basketball is kind of in a dead period, although Pete Nance is providing some good news for Tar Heel fans. Of course, I'm sure most of you guys saw that. Of course, Sim and I have a bet on who will win. Actually, not win. I guess it's finished higher in the ACC. Higher. Year. Uh, I have Duke. I was riding high after their addition of Jacob Grandison, um, former Illini, of course. And now uh, Sim is riding higher after the addition of Pete Nance. And everyone is just making North Carolina their preseason number one now, which just makes me feel even better because I just know they're going to fall on their face
1: yeah, I don't have them preseason number one, but I have them out of Duke, so I still feel good
0: all right. We'll see. We maybe, maybe we should have a better bet for this.
1: yeah, we can we can talk loser off. has
0: to cover themselves in peanut butter, like the okay, like the- okay, okay.
1: Like, this is not <laughs> one-sided thing here
0: okay we're not we're not doing that all right let's uh let's talk about the nba draft sim on twitter in the last couple of days you've been pretty active sharing your final 2022 nba draft big board which is something that obviously you put a lot of work in you rank i believe i think it's the top 80 prospects and you'll probably go even deeper than that you said you've got a youtube video out and you uh had an article published that was over a thousand words on just about every single player on your big board so first question i have for you and on the top of your big board is jabari smith jr shocker you're picking the auburn guy first on your board uh why is jabari smith jr ahead of Palo caro ahead of chet holmgren um i guess even jaden ivy you can throw him in that group as well why is jabari smith jr your number one overall player
1: yeah. You know, I think Holmgren is like the most discussed player in the class. Like everyone loves to talk about his frame and he's so skinny, but he can dribble, but he can shoot. So, you know, Jabari wasn't talked about him as much in that regard. I think from like just the eye test alone, you know, it's obviously Duke. It was K's last year. Van Carroll was on TV a lot and he is to me the best offensive player right now of this rookie class. And he's the most polished player. Like it just looks really good. Like you watch some of those NCAA tournament games and he you know, had huge shots on the stretch against Michigan State and Texas Tech. But, and Smith doesn't look like your traditional number one pick. He had a good productive year in the SEC, which, you know, we both thought was a good league, but it wasn't like just kind of dominating games with his physicality or athleticism. So, you know, that's a good question. Why is he won? Um, I've only really been scouting the draft for three years, but he's easily the best shooter I've scouted in the past three years, which is, you know, a ton of players. He's 6'10". He's skinny, but like there's clearly room to add weight to his frame. Um, So I think like, even if he doesn't do anything else well, he's not going to completely fail because he's, you know, he's really good at the most important skill, which is shooting. And he's tall, but um, he's actually a pretty underrated defender. I think he'll be able to guard threes and fours right from the go pretty effectively. And when he adds on weight, like he could be that kind of small ball five that we see succeed in the playoffs. And then, dribbling and ball handling isn't great right now but he like I don't think he necessarily needs it to be great because again at 6'10 he can just shoot over people but he's also six months younger than Bancaro an entire year younger than Holmgren and around a year younger than Ivy so I think he just has the most room to grow and I think his flaws are like maybe the most fixable and workable and I just think he has the highest upside while also having like a pretty good floor and you know, it was it was pretty close. Like I definitely thought about Ben Caro, I thought about Ivy at one for a sec too, but I went with Jabari Smith at one, and I think Orlando will do the same come draft night.
0: So you have said for a while that Jabari Smith Junior. is the best shooter that you have evaluated um, in your two three years doing what you kind of do here. He shot forty two percent last year from three for a player that's six foot ten. Just for comparison's sake, Chet Holmgren uh, shot thirty nine percent from three at seven foot. And Paolo Bancaro, obviously not as much known for his shooting ability, I guess I would say, as the other two there. But Paolo shot 33% as a freshman from behind the arc. So Paolo's shooting numbers obviously aren't as great, but Paolo's probably more polished, like you said, offensively when it comes to his handling ability, his ability to facilitate an offense. And something that he didn't show a lot of at Duke was, uh, you know, his passing ability and his ability to see the court. That's something that really showed a lot on his high school film. out Seattle. So. Kind of continuing this, so Paolo and Jabari are both really similar prospects, right? They're both six foot ten. They point forwards essentially is what you can be. They're both wings. I guess is probably maybe a better way, larger wings. Let's say they're big body, longer mm-hmm. wings. Um, why is it that not just you, but also others seem to have flipped on this over the past season? where Paolo came into the year kind of viewed as being the number one and number two overall pick, and now is kind of being viewed as more likely to be the number two pick behind a player that many even have, I think, in their top three entering last season's college basketball tip-off.
1: Yeah, you know, it's weird. Like, Paolo didn't do anything statistically to hurt himself. He averaged 17-7 and seven and three assists. Like, again, yeah, it's, it's weird that that would be the case, but I, I think Smith helped himself just, like – with his huge season um, and the skills I talked about with him, and I, the thing that keeps coming back up with Paolo is people are worried about him defensively. Like he kind of loses interest on that end; he's not super engaged. He's like, you know, ideally, like we talked about earlier, you know, you want guys to be able to scale down. You want Jabari Smith to guard centers because if Jabari Smith can play center, that means you have like likely five skilled players on the floor. So you'd like these guys to be able to guard centers in crunch time, and we see. Teams like the Warriors kind of scale down and play Draymond Green at center. Or even the
0: Celtics. I think the Celtics are maybe even a better example of this. Just because Horford's like more your traditional, you know, forward. And I think that's kind of like what Jabari and Paolo can be too, especially mm -hmm. as they get older and continue to put mass on and kind of fill out a little bit, right? Like, especially Jabari, like you said earlier, like he's kind of skinny and he's wiry. Paolo's a little bit more mature physically, I would say, than Jabari is. But I think Jabari could end up being more of like a, bigger bodied, kind of in the mold more of a traditional four as long as he kind of puts mass on
1: yeah absolutely so I just think that the concerns with Paulo's defense where people view Jabari as like this he could maybe be all NBA like it it, it, defensively I don't think he'll get there but people are like he could be pretty close to that so I think it's the defense for one and then you know the three-point shooting like It just, his shot didn't look great. He was a little bit hesitant. He was only 33%. Like, I think he'll be a good, like to, you know, he's not gonna be a guy teams are leaving open at the NBA level, but without a lead shot, it's the upside is just limited where it's, you know, teams know Jabari is going to shoot. So I think that's kind of what flipped it. And for me, at least on my board, it was seeing them both in person, like just watching Jabari live. You were actually at that Auburn St. Louis game too. Um, but watching him move, he didn't really play
0: that well in that game.
1: No, it, for me, it was everything that happened, like watching him warm up and the way he ran and the way his shot looked in person. Whereas then I watched Paolo live and like, he didn't look as like big or graceful or as athletic as maybe he did on film. Like it just, something about seeing Jabari with my own eyes and then seeing Paolo for me was like, one looks like he could be a superstar. And I don't know if I see like superstar outcomes for Paolo, although I do see very good player. Um. I don't know if I see, like, the superstar upside.
0: Okay, let's talk about maybe, like you said, the most polarizing or most talked about prospect in this entire draft um, with Chet Holmgren, and then we're going to go back to the number three player on your board after this. So I think it's pretty clear that Chet probably has the highest ceiling of any player in this draft if he ultimately reaches it. Um, I think a lot of people, though, are skeptical of the fact that he probably isn't ever going to reach that ceiling as someone who's just kind of oddly – built right like he I've heard this tossed around out here a lot in the last couple weeks he's kind of like the complete antithesis to that of what Zion Williamson was coming into the league right like Zion was this really interesting specimen really good athlete was viewed as kind of almost being too heavy for his size and almost like too explosive right and now you look at Chet and Chet is seven feet tall and he's skinnier than a piece of uncooked spaghetti noodles um, out of the box, right? Like, and the concern is that Chet's not ready physically for the NBA. So Chet's ceiling is probably the highest if he's able to reach it. But why do you think that Chet won't reach his ceiling compared to that of Jabari, Paolo, or maybe even other players in this class?
1: Yeah, well, I I don't think his ceiling is the highest, just given the fact that he's 12 months older than Jabari. And, I think even the best, most optimized version of Chet is not someone that gets his own shot. Now, what I think the other misconception is that like his skinniness won't hold up defensively. And I actually think he'll be good. Def- I mean, I think he's gonna add some weight, but like, I think he'll always be good defensively. Like he is a brilliant shot blocker. He knows when shots are going up, how to close down on um, you know, driving lanes and angles. He uses either hand well, like teams will go at him and he will get pushed around a bit. He's such a good shot blocker like I really think he'll survive defensively I just don't see like how he's really a 20 point per game score in the NBA and I see that with a bunch of other guys maybe not a bunch but definitely the top few guys on my board um and he averaged 14 points but like when you kind of peel back the box scores you know he scored two against Texas five against Texas Tech the Duke game like he played pretty well but um you know, a lot of his shots, like he wasn't really creating his own buckets, nine against Memphis and Jalen Duren, only 11 against Arkansas. Like it seemed like bigger physical teams could really hurt him on offense. And that's obviously going to only get tougher at the NBA level. So I think, like you know, he will defend the rim. He'll be a good defender. I do think he'll shoot threes. He's a good shooter. He'll space the floor and he can finish, you know, when there isn't like too much contact or physicality around him. But I think a lot of matchups and a lot of teams with big physical wings are going to be able to slow him down. And that's what concerns me that the least put him forth on my board.
0: So one question that I have, and I think this is maybe unfair to judge Chet on is how much is his draft stock affected by the fact that he played in the West coast conference, where for, you know, for two and a half months, he wasn't playing against the greatest competition. Like you said there, when you were kind of rattling off some of his box scores They're against Texas, they're against um, Duke, um, and then he didn't play super well in the NCAA tournament in the game. They got eliminated. Who did they lose to?
1: Arkansas.
0: Arkansas. Yeah. Um. He didn't play great in that game either against a guy like Jalen Williams, who's also in this class, um, who's kind of started to get some interesting buzz here of late too. We can talk about him later if you'd like, but do you think playing in the West Coast Conference hurt him? I think my biggest thing with him playing in the West Coast Conference is that he didn't get an opportunity to maybe showcase all of his complete offensive game because he was getting pulled at, you know, the 15 minute mark of the second half because Gonzaga is up by 20 um, some nights. And they're probably not doing that if they're playing in a power six conference. So do you think that hurts him because of his lack of film in general, because he wasn't on the court as much, or do you think it hurts him? Maybe just because it's clear that this is by far the best NBA draft prospect on the court right now, I guess maybe not the best because there was another player from the West Coast conference. Um <laughs> But that's besides the point.
1: <laughs> um, I So, like, as an aside, like, I did enjoy, like, watching Gonzaga West Coast games just because, like, I could stop watching at the 12-minute mark in the second half. Like, I could get through a game and get through notes not having to watch the last 10 or 12 minutes. Um, but I think the area that it hurt Chet in is that it was kind of like a lose-lose, like, in those games for him. Like, he, he kills them, and he killed the West Coast Conference. He had a great year in that league, like, dominated on both ends. But then the, you know, the clapback is, well, that's like what he's supposed to do. And if you ever played bad, like he had an 11 point game against St. Mary's people like, oh, like he's not that good. And, you know, it's tough to play great for 20 straight games. So I think like it hurt him in that regard. And the fact that he just didn't get to showcase like himself against these elite athletes. And he didn't get more, you know, he didn't get more games against Arkansas like teams like. Jabari Smith had his fair share of clunkers. Paolo Bancaro had his fair share of clunkers. We just missed We didn't. We them because they're against ACC-level teams. So, like, those five games that Chat played against high major teams are kind of overly scrutinized. So I do think it hurt him in that regard. But, you know, that's part of being an evaluator, and I don't think if he played in another league, it would have really affected my evaluation. Although, I mean, who knows? If he put up his numbers like he did in the ACC or the SEC – Maybe he is the top guy. It's a fair thing to ponder.
0: All right, let's move to, I think, if Chad is the most polarizing prospect in this draft, um, the most argued about prospect in this draft might be Shaden Sharp. Uh, when you think about some of the things that are said about where he could go, what he should have done in his one semester at Kentucky. Uh, for those who don't know, Shaden Sharp is a former top three, top five consensus national recruit. Um, he was number one, I believe, by one or two services as well. Um, he able he was able to graduate high school a semester early and enrolled at Kentucky in January. And essentially a whole saga plays out where he ends up not playing, long story short, despite all the injuries that Kentucky had in their backcourt, sharps a shooting guard, combo guard, well known for being an elite scorer, um, especially with the loss of Sevier Wheeler at times, Heffy Washington at times. Um, And the need for Kellen Grady to get rest with just being older and having some nagging injuries down the stretch as well. Uh, But Sharp never played. He said this past week that was his decision. I think there's a lot of people who maybe don't think it was completely his decision, think it was his handler's decision, his family's decision, whoever it was. um, Sim Shea Sharp is potentially the best player in this entire draft, if he turns into the type of scorer that many think he can be. He's an elite athlete. He's got an ability to finish at the rim. He's got a pretty nice first step that allows him to get past defenders. He can also score it from the outside. Good length, defensively, good athlete, like I said, that allows him to jump passing lanes um, and defend multiple positions as well, despite being just six foot five, He can probably guard through positions in the NBA. Uh, you have Shannon Sharp, I believe, fifth on your board. Why should Shannon Sharp be a top five pick?
1: Yeah, you know, I like Detroit's picking at five, um, and I don't think he necessarily – And if you were like, the
0: Pistons, sense. would you take him fifth?
1: No, because I don't think he really makes sense, like, with the roster or timeline right now. Like, he's probably going to slip into, like, the seven, eight range, and I'm okay with that. But while I think he's five on my board, which, for those who don't know, my big board is kind of like, in 10 years, how were their careers ranked as NBA players, is that I'm just banking on the upside. Like, he is, like you said, a freak athlete, run and jump, you know, he plays above the rim. Um, he showed some elite, like, pull-up shooting flashes in his EYBL film. Like, he wasn't a great knockdown shooter, but he showed flashes of being a really good shooter. So I think once you start to iron those out – and, you know, he wasn't playing at Kentucky, so maybe he was just sitting on the shooting gun every day, and, like, maybe he's a knockdown shooter now. Um, Yeah, the upside is there. And he was on the trajectory of, like, you know – he was a good high school player. Then he kind of made himself a great one sitting atop those rankings. Like I think that trajectory would have continued upwards in college. Um, the, the downside here is that he just missed a year of his development. And I don't know if he'll need G League. I don't think like he'll be in the G League just because he's probably going to be a top eight pick. And you don't want to stash a top eight pick in the G League. But he's going to make a lot of mistakes as a rookie um, if he's playing the NBA. And teams are going to have to live with that. He's – his motor kind of waned in the EYBL and like, it's so tough to scout EYBL in high school because when you're that good, like you just don't give a shit sometimes. And like, is that going to like, is that an issue for him at all times? Or was he just like, eh, I'm too good for this. So it'll be a super interesting, like track record and like development and what happens because I think he's talented. I think he's a good athlete and he does too many. He just has too much of a good body and some shooting to fail, but he might suck like from day one and teams have to live with that
0: he also could be really good from day one like i wouldn't be shocked in a year from now for talking about Shane <sighs> Sharp being the rookie of the year
1: <laughs> oh i i would i would be stunned like he just didn't play in college like
0: but the talent he- there right like the talent is there for him to potentially do it i'm not saying he's my pick to do Theoretically. that year, but like he's talented enough to do that if he goes to the right situation where he's able to thrive you know, you look at some where these other guys are slotted to go. Like, I don't think whoever goes to Sacramento at four is probably going to win rookie of the year. Like, I, I don't think whoever goes to Orlando at number one, whether that's Jabari, Chet, or Paolo, is likely to get rookie of the year because they have other guys on the roster, Franz, Suggs, um, that can score and take away options for them. But I think Shane Sharp has an opportunity to be a really good NBA player. Let's shift this a little bit to the Big Ten, an area that most of our listeners I think are probably the most familiar with. And actually, this is a really good year to talk about the Big Ten when you talk about some of the talent at the top of this draft, an area the Big Ten normally hasn't seen players drafted. Uh, You have Jaden Ivey, the highest on your board of any Big Ten player. You have him third ahead of Chet Holmgren behind Powell Bencaro and Jabari Smith, like I said, but then you also have Wisconsin's Johnny Davis at six. You have Iowa's Keegan Murray at eight. So you have three Big Ten players in your top eight overall. And then you have Malachi Branham also in your lottery as well. So you've got four players in your lottery from the Big Ten. Sim, what is impressive about those four players? And let's start with Jaden Ivy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Illinois fans got to see it in the second game. Illinois played Purdue. Yeah. Is that that was Ivy? That was one of Ivy's like better halves. Uh, was that was seventh. maybe his
0: best half of the entire season.
1: Yeah, like, he just killed yeah. Illinois in the pick and roll. Um, you know, like, Kofi Coburn is a drop defender. He can only do so much. Like, he just killed him in the pick and roll. I mean, he's – Jaden – Shaden Sharp is, like, one of the top athletes in the class. Jaden Ivy is the best athlete in the class. Like, I, I he is a, so
0: – I heard a really interesting take, and I want to hear your opinion on it. Um, I think it was – that john the first of all he's very commonly compared to john Morant. i do that other people do that just the way they play obviously they look pretty similar with their hair the way they explode off the ground um john Morant coming out of murray state was kind of skinny and not super strong do you think that john Morant coming out is maybe a better athlete overall than what john Morant was
1: Wait, was John Morant coming out a better athlete than he you, is now?
0: No, do you think Jaden Ivey is a better athlete? Sorry, I misspoke there. Do you think Jaden Ivey is a better athlete coming out of Purdue than John Morant was coming out of Murray State? Because I think you can make a case because Ivy's stronger. Yeah. And you, very similarly gifted explosively vertically.
1: You can make a case. I do think Ja had more, like, was better vertically. Speed with the ball. I think Ja was better, like once he was already dribbling and changing, like like he's already dribbling and then he explodes out of it. Jaden is the best at like he just catches the ball, he's standing still and then he goes. Like, Ooh, it's like different kinds of, types of, of athletic athleticism. Hand. Yeah, it's just like his. It's called standstill burst, like his ability just to go from standing still is incredible. And you know, people have concerns about the shooting. I think I'm I I think he's a good shooter. I mean, he I took too. some tough pull ups out, like. He can hit some deep ones. He, Purdue asked him to take some tough shots. Like, I think once you bring that in, the percentages will be good. I think the concern is, and it was one of our most talked about topics this year on the podcast, was Purdue's defense. And, like, you know, he's a great athlete. He has great tools physically. Like, why was he not a lockdown defender? So I'm a little worried about his defense. I He didn't bring it, like, every game. Like, some games are just off and it kind of waned. He needs a better mid-range game. But I have him three because you just cannot teach his physical tools and I you can kind of patch up like the mid-range game and he can, that stuff with NBA trainers, he can learn to do better. And defense, like if he can just give a little more effort, like, yeah, I just think he has a ton of upside and you just bet on that athleticism with the skills that he has.
0: Yeah. I've been all in on Jaden Ivy for a while. obviously, mm-hmm. as you know, and listeners of this podcast know, but the defense thing, and maybe it, maybe it was a concern that we made, of hours but it was a fair concern i think offensively a lot of people maybe were concerned that he just didn't take over games like he should have last year at purdue until like the second half of the year when i think painter finally just realized like forget all of this scheme stuff i'm putting you in a pick and roll with travion williams or zach Eady. go make a play like either feed it to one of them for a bucket or go slam it down the rim like just do that okay and that's what he did in the second half of the season he looked like a really good player uh so i'm high on ivy i like that you have him three i don't know if i would have him three on my board just because i don't know if his ceiling is as high as some of the others but i think his ceiling is arguably as high like if you were like if someone were to come up to you and argue with me that Jaden ivy has a highest ceiling in this draft i wouldn't call him completely psychotic um because he's such a good athlete me neither. Uh,
1: just because he has the tools like
0: yeah for he- sure Okay, so the next person you have on your board of the Big Ten is Wisconsin's Johnny Davis. I think this is maybe the biggest shock, maybe in the top 10 of guys you have completely coming out of nowhere to be in your top 10. Obviously, he played well last year on um, that U19 circuit with Team USA and then carry that over to the Big Ten season. For the longest time, it looked like he was going to be not just Big Ten player of the year, but National Player of the Year. Um, obviously, he ends up not winning that. No, he did win Big Ten player of the year, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah he
0: did win big-time player of the year. It looks like he was one a national player of the year. He ended up not winning that. Obviously, Oscar Shibuy won that. Uh, he had a not season, Sim. That second half of the year, he was hurt, was banged up, didn't look like the same player he did in the first part of the season for Wisconsin. But you have him six on your board, and he's floated around a lot of different spots for you over the last few months. Why did you settle on him at six?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, in the moment, I was worried about, like, when he was kind of banged up in the second half of the season – I was worried about like, oh, is he, you know, a bad shooter? Is he a bad athlete? Like He couldn't really create space for himself because he just kind of lost some juice in his leg. His ankle was banged up. Like he didn't look the same. So that's why I was kind of low on him. And I actually don't think he's a great, um, like he's not going to be a great athlete at the NBA level, but he measured it at six at the combine, which was like a pleasant surprise. So he's got legitimate size for an NBA two guard the shooting percentages weren't great, but like, again, having watched him shoot, like I buy it. And Wisconsin kind of asked him to take some tough shots and he wasn't playing next to a true point guard. He was playing next to like Chucky Hepburn and Brad Davis in the swing. And, you know, let's say he goes to Washington at 10 and he's playing with like Bradley Bill, who's not a point guard, but if someone just like draws a lot of defense, like there'll be more open looks available. And I went back and watched like his December tape or his November tape. And, I just think he's gonna make he's going to make an impact on both ends of the floor. He's a smart player. He's competitive as hell. Like he's just tough. He wants to win. I buy the shooting. I buy the finishing. I think he can pass a little bit. You know, I'm not expecting like all star outcomes here, but could he be like Josh Hart or like a Dylan Brooks? It's a good player. Yeah, and, and like maybe that's like a little high for six, but it's just because I feel so safe that he's going to be in the NBA for a while as a starter. Could be low end or like a good bench player. I just feel I feel confident about him being in the NBA for a while. So that's so why I put him six, even if like the all-star upside isn't there.
0: Yeah, I think you just this is a draft that obviously isn't super deep at the top. There's a lot of players I think who are gonna end up being good role players in the NBA or maybe come off the bench on a good team. And I think he's at the top of the list of someone who could do that. Maybe finds a starting spot for someone. Uh let's talk about a couple of guys who I think are gonna be role players, maybe guys who come off the bench probably be really, really good at it in the NBA, also big Ten players. You have Keegan Murray, eight. He's one of your guys. He's been one of your guys since his freshman year. You have EJ Liddell at 22 on your board. He's obviously one of my big guys, um, junior coming out of Ohio State. Uh, those are two guys who I think are going to be roles, role players in the NBA. I'm curious what you think of that, and if that is true, what do you think the roles are going to be in the NBA?
1: Yeah, I think Keegan will be like a – the reason he's 14 spots higher is that he's taller, um, better shooter. Younger younger um probably he's a better athlete.
0: Athlete.
1: yeah he's probably a better athlete i i think he's keegan murray is a guy that can play in any system like he doesn't need play drawn up for him or the ball to like make an impact like a lot of his points for iowa this year just came with oh he ran the floor really hard he's under the rim there's a layup or he got a good good seal on offensive rebound there's a layup like he's kind of nose to the ball and finding points and as long as he spaces the floor um and continues to be like a a tough player that does the little things. He's going to make an impact on winning and you don't have to like force feed him the ball and change your team around him. You can just slide him in. So I think that's what makes him super valuable. Again, not another guy with like crazy high upside, um, but I think he's going to stick for a while. So that's what I like about him. And then EJ, you know, he's your guy. I should also let you take the floor, but the shooting has just gotten so much better uh, over the last year. He's smart. He's a good athlete. Yeah, he's undersized, but he might be what teams are looking for for that new small ball five that succeeds in the playoffs, like a Grant Williams. And, you know, even if he's not a starter for 10 years, I think he's going to stick in rotations and be on teams and do things that impact winning.
0: Yeah, I think you described BJ really well. Like, I don't think he's going to be an NBA star. I thought he was going to be a college star, and I was right. But I think I do have questions about where he fits at certain points in the NBA. He's kind of an awkward size at his position, which I don't really know what his position is. But ultimately, like, I think he's just a really good player. And I think good players find roles on NBA teams. All right, there's a uh, one NBA or one college player that we have not talked about that I think a lot of listeners probably are curious about. Let's talk about Kofi Coburn. He is not on your top 80, I believe. Um, he's obviously... Probably not going to get drafted in the eyes of most NBA draft experts, whether that's Jonathan Giovanni of ESPN, Jeremy Wu of Sports Illustrated, um, Sam Asini of The Athletic, whoever it is. He's not appearing on very many max drafts or really close to that like top 60 ish range on big boards. And remember, there's only 58 picks in this year's draft due to a couple teams getting penalized for tampering um, and free agency. Uh, the Bulls were one and uh, I forget the heat were the other for Kyle Lowry and Lonzo ball, or at least that's assumed who it was. So Kofi is unlikely to go drafted sim for Kofi to find a role on an NBA roster at some point next year. What does he need to look for um, in an organization as an undrafted free agent on a two-way contract or um, maybe on some sort of other deal?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think again, going undrafted, like might not be the worst thing because then, him and his agent can sit down and kind of talk to teams and see what role like is the best for them. You know, he's not getting drafted. Like he's not getting chosen by one team. He can kind of play around and pick and see what he likes. And yeah, I mean, he needs a team. like he needs to do is he needs to find a team that already has a system in place that kind of has used guys like him before or has like that kind of mold. Um, You don't want, like, a team that's super switchy on defense. Like, I don't see him being a Golden State Warrior just because, like, that is not, like, their defensive scheme at all. You know, you want a team that's, like, drop coverage heavy. The Milwaukee Bucks are one, like, I think would kind of make some sense as a two-way, looking to add some size and just, like, somebody to eat up minutes if you're playing, like, a Joel Embiid or, like, you know, just somebody to go get rebounds and, like, be big. Like, I I think think he should look for a team that's – I think a team that's competitive would make more sense for him – yeah. And I think a team that maybe doesn't have like a true ginormous player because he has to be like super niche and like, Ooh, we could use this in this exact moment to make it work. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll see. I'm curious to see what team he ends up with. I don't expect him to get drafted. I'm not sure if I expect him to get two way contract and that might come down to how he plays at summer league. Um, but he's going to get, he's going to play in summer league and he's going to get an opportunity and I'll have a chance to prove himself there.
0: Yeah. I think, he just needs to find the right spot. I was talking with Jeremy Wu um, for a story I did a couple weeks ago on where his draft stock kind of lands, and that was up on our front page at Illinois Rivals um, a couple weeks ago, and I'll probably share that story again now with the draft approaching. But Jeremy Wu was really insistent on the fact that fit is the biggest thing for Kofi in terms of finding success and going to the right place. So for you to echo a lot of those things, I think just kind of add some more merit to that. Um He can't go to a team that, like you said, switches a lot. He needs to go to a team that understands what his role is going to be. And I think it's really important for him to understand what his role is going to be too. Like, and he seems to have a grasp of what he's going to have to be in the NBA. Like I know he said be a guy like Steven Adams, obviously is pretty decent defender, someone who's taken up that kind of role of being a physical big who's willing to guard and do a lot of different things, but maybe not play the most minutes offensively or be the biggest threat offensively um I'm not saying to be as good as Steven Adams because that's someone who really excels in their role but just someone in that kind of mold right like that can yeah. give you a couple of minutes off the bench if Kofi, Kofi's able to find a role in the NBA that'll be why
1: yeah I I agree
0: all right Sim. before we get to some of these questions that I have outlined for you at the end I think there's some fun questions um in this draft class uh who is your favorite player to just watch film of
1: Oh, that's a good one. Um, we didn't talk about them, but like Trevin Williams is up there just because like I
0: thought they, I thought that's where you might go. Uh
1: yeah. I mean, I just I like that's my favorite thing to watch is like passing and guys that like process the floor really well. Like I like microwave scores, but like there's a lot of microwave scores in this class that shot like 30% and it's like oh crap, I'm watching G League Ignite and Jaden Hardy is like two for 10. It's like, that's not very fun. So like guys would just like kind of see the floor and process it differently. So that's, you know, Trevian Williams from Purdue. Landis Williams who's at point guard uh, from Wake Forest is definitely in that mold. Um, and then David Roddy from Colorado State yeah, is, a super fun- is a super funky one that like, I knew he was good in college, but I didn't really take him seriously as a prospect till halfway through the year just like dominating with his size, we'll hit some shots, we'll make some great passes. So I'd say like those are the three that I was just like, even on off games, they're still doing some fun stuff.
0: Um, Who's the most frustrating player for you to evaluate this year?
1: Uh, Michigan's Caleb Houston is up there just because like he would literally go invisible for entire games. Like, you know, he was someone I build as a projected lottery pick based on his shooting And like coming into the year, one of my questions was like, "Well, what if he? What does he do if he's not shooting?" And it turns out like literally nothing. It it, it like you know that was um, you know he was an incredibly frustrating guy to watch. That's why he's kind of slipped a bit on my board. Um, Baylor's Kendall Brown is another one, and I actually have him in the top twenty-five. But he's another guy that just kind of waned out of games, and like I'd like him to be like this he's six, seven with good athleticism. Like I'd like to be this like wing stopper. And just, sometimes just wasn't paying attention on defense. And it, it's frustrating because I know he, he has the tools, but I, it was just kind of frustrating to watch at times. So I'd say those are the two.
0: Okay. Now, before we get to these questions at the end that I outlined, um, I kind of wanted to continue a conversation that we had over the weekend over text messages about uh, players deciding to go, pro instead of coming back to college and it maybe not being in their best interest. I think it might be interesting to kind of go through some of these. And of course these kids are chasing their dreams. And I think that's great. And that's awesome that they're doing that. And obviously I hope that they're successful because if they're successful, that's great for them. And it's great for the NBA and it's good for their college programs as well, too, which is better for the sport. Um, But there's a couple of guys who I think had really, really interesting decisions and guys that I think listeners will really know well, um, because a few of them are NBA or big-time players, excuse me, and one of them um, being from a blue blood. Uh, the first one I kind of want to talk about is uh, Caleb Houston, like you said. or And we can include Max Christie in this as well. Those are two players who I think – and Houston, I think, could have come back and shot the ball pretty well and turned himself into a potential lottery pick. I know next year's draft is kind of being viewed as better, but I think he could turn himself into a top you know, 12 to 20 pick next year if he shot the ball pretty well. Uh, but I think Christie's a player who, in my opinion, his stock has always kind of, kind of be the same, similar to that of like Io, where Io was always kind of viewed as like a late first, early to mid second round prospect, right? Like even after his freshman, sophomore, and junior year, that's kind of always where he was, and he ended up going 38th, right? And he outplayed that, and I think a lot of the reasons Io outplayed that 38th pick with the Bulls was because he was so much more mature, and he had learned the game and become a much more polished. Player, um, I think that's something that Max Christie could have done had he gone back to college at Michigan State or another school, had he decided to transfer. Um, so I'm really interested to see what you think of what Christie decided to do. If you think he may have made the right decision or not,
1: I'll start with Houston. Like, I actually with him, I understand it more because like he was getting top five to ten buzz right into the season, and like that alone may keep him in the first round. Like, there's a rumor he has a promise to go in the first round. He didn't go to the NBA combine. So because he was projected to be five, top five to 10 and is like floor, it's, he still might go in the first. I understood it. I also don't think he's someone like, I'm not sure how much better he was going to be in college. He's not like he's a shooter that needs other guys to create for him. We look at this Michigan roster, like, you know, Devonte Jones couldn't do it last year. Am I sure Frankie Llewellyn's going to do it this year? They still have, you know, they still have Terrence Williams and like some kind of spacing issues on their team, like Jace Howard, Jed Howard. Like I'm not sure how much better he honestly would have gone. And then if you suck for two years, your stock gets killed. So I understand why Houston did it. I have him a bit lower on my board, but I'm not sure like how much better he would have been in that same kind of like system. Cause it seems like Michigan's going to be more talented than last year and a little bit older, but the same, it's going to look the same. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, Christie though, I agree. Like he wasn't, he was never getting lottery buzz. Um, he was getting some like mid to late first round buzz, but yeah, physically, he just does not look the part right now at all. Like it, he's going to, he's someone who needs at least a year of G-League time, maybe two. And, you know, we can debate what's better to develop the G-League or the NBA. Like, I think it's different for different players, but you know, let's say Max goes to G-League now and he's not he's not very impactful for two years, which I'm not really sure he will be because he's so far away physically. Who's going to give you a chance on your second contract? Like, what is your value there? Are you even a two-way guy? So I, I, you know, and again, we don't know what's going on, like with Christy and what he wants to do, what his goals are, but I, I didn't really understand why he decided to stay in the draft.
0: Yeah. And I think one other one, and this is one that you and I have talked about extensively is Duke's Trevor keels. Um, I think Kiel's is in a really interesting spot. Like he can't shoot. He didn't show that he could shoot last year at Duke, but he's obviously a really talented player, but it would be odd for me to go from a guy who was coming off the bench for Duke at the second part of the season to, you know, a, a late first round NBA draft pick. I feel like if he comes back to school, he's a guy who I think could really turn into a more polished prospect and really help himself and, Again, I, I'm happy these kids are chasing their dreams, but at the same time now with NIL and the ability to capitalize on that and make money. And I get it. Like, we don't always want to go to school. Like, I'm happy I'm graduated. And I don't have to take any classes anymore. Um, but I think that going back to Duke would have been really beneficial for a guy like Trevor Keels.
1: Yeah, I mean, Keels is in the second round in every mock draft now. Like, I have him 27th on my board just because he's so young, he doesn't turn 19 until August. So it's like, I'm kind of banking on, you know, in a year or two, like the shooting comes around. Cause he didn't shoot the ball well this year. His body fat percentage was third highest at the combine. He's got long arms, but like, it, it's just all kind of flashes with him right now. Like, Oh, this game, he looks great. And then for three games, he is, you know, shooting 30%. And it's like, so I'm just, I'm gambling on the flashes, but yeah, again, it wouldn't surprise me if kills is not in the NBA in three years because, He kind of rushed it, and he struggles in the G League. He's another guy who I think will need G League time. And, yeah, unlike Houston and Christie, like, I am 100%. Keels would have been really good at Duke next year, I think, um, with the roster they have and with, like, the flashes he's shown. And now there's no Bancaro. Like, it's kind of your team as the sophomore. So I'll be curious to see, like, you know, how far does he fall? Does someone believe in the flashes and take him in the first? And then what does his next year look like? You know, he'll be 19 all of next year. Can he do anything that NBA teams want to see on the court or do they want to stash in the G league? So yeah, I think he's a super interesting name, but he would have been like first team all ACC if he came back to Duke, like he would have, he would have had a really good year in college. So yeah, that's that's another interesting one. All
0: right. I have five or six questions, maybe seven questions lined up here. Um, Let's kind of go through these pretty quick and then we can get out here. Uh, the player most likely to be drafted in the first round that will be out of the league in three years is who?
1: Who, um, it's a good question. I, I'd like to go this quickly, but I'd like to have a good answer. Um, you know, it, it wouldn't stun me if, like, I, I like Patrick Baldwin Jr., but it wouldn't stun me if it failed and he wasn't in the league. Um, just given the concerns we have with him, Nikola Jovic is another like high risk, high reward guy from overseas that. Might not make it. Um, and then I've seen Kenny Chandler from Tennessee, the undersized point guard, mockingly him late first. It, it's tough for like six foot guards to make it. So probably be someone in the 20s, but those are the three, like if they weren't in the league in three years, I'm not stunned.
0: Yeah, I agree. Especially with Baldwin. I just think Baldwin's such a mystery. He could end up being a really good player or he could just really struggle. He's obviously got some injury history there too as well. Uh, flip it, the player most likely to go in the second round that will become an NBA all-star.
1: Oh, all-star. So we're, we're swinging for like high-end. Yeah. Becomes a here. pretty good player. Um, I'll say Nebraska's Bryce McGowan's like, Ooh, that's
0: a roll of the dice.
1: Well, I don't think he's going to be an all-star. He's like 34th on my board, but like, just as like, there's a scenario where he becomes this elite level scorer on a bad team, like Nebraska was this year. And he's like 20 points per game and he makes it. Um, I'd say him and Ryan Rollins, another guard, this time from Toledo. He's young. He doesn't shoot great. He can't guard anyone right now. But, like, as a kind of scoring guard, again, I could – in a crazy world, he could average 20 points and be an all-star. So, I'd say Ryan Rollins and Bryce McGowan's.
0: I'll give you one, and this player might end up going late in the first round. But give me Ty Washington. I think he could maybe do it. He's obviously a really talented player. Could turn into a pretty good lead guard. Uh, yeah. I think you're – I think I know where you're going to go with this one. Most likely to be an NBA MVP.
1: Jabari Smith. I And he's the only one I think has that outcome in him. Like, that's how I am in Jabari. I don't think he'll be an MVP. I think there's too many good, like, young guys right now. Like, Luka's going to get the next few. Giannis is still, you know, doing his thing. Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley were better prospects. Anthony Edwards. I don't think anything is – I actually don't think there'll be an MVP from this class. But I would swing – like, if it had to be one, I would say it's Jabari. That's why he's won.
0: All right. Uh here's a fun one. Uh which player has the best draft night suit?
1: Oh uh, I have an
0: answer for this.
1: So it's gonna be somewhere in the green room, which is like the top 20 or so guys. I'm going with Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. Oh, uh, I
0: like that. What color is his hair gonna be?
1: Yeah, first of all, he might have, like I think he goes with the neon hair for the Baylor shows prior to his school, but I've uh I've recently started to follow him on Instagram and like he's got a really good aesthetic. Um, so I think that he's just like, he's kind of a flashy guy. And then I watch out for Benedict Matherin too. Oh, Arizona. that was my pick. <laughs> it was yours. Okay. Um, yeah. You ben Mather is my point. pick. I just think he's a Canadian. He's sharp. Um, like objectively a pretty handsome dude. Um, I just think he could pull off something. So I'll say, I'll say so on.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go with Ben Matherin. He's someone we didn't talk about, but I think he could turn into a really good three and D guy and then be a good athlete as well. All right, I'm going to flip this, and this is one I didn't have written down. Worst uh, draft suit on Thursday night.
1: Uh, it's tough for, like, seven-footers to look clean. Like, I'm just – like, Chet, what he was wearing at the, the lottery, it just, like – it didn't look like it fit him. Like, so I'm a little worried about Chet. The same goes for Mark Williams. Like, it's, it's hard to, like, look good in a suit when you're seven-two. Um, I'll I'll say Cheddar Mark Williams.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, I don't know to go here. I'm gonna go. I'm actually gonna am gonna flip one of yours. I'm gonna go Jeremy Sohan. I could see him doing some like crazy color pattern scheme that just doesn't work. Um, he's obviously someone who likes to have a lot of fun with his hair, um, and his colors and style and everything. But I could see it just completely backfiring. <laughs>
1: Yeah, All no, right. that's true. It, it's, it's high risk, high reward.
0: All right. Uh, which Big Ten player has the best NBA career?
1: This is interesting because I think Ivy has the most potential, but like I feel way better about Keegan and Johnny as like surefire being like good. Like I think Jaden is going to be a good player on teams that maybe don't like he's going to be the leader of teams that aren't that great to me and like i hate to sound short like and if put in the right situation he could be but so i think Jaden will have the best career i think like johnny and keegan murray are on the teams that win the most playoff games is like is how i would phrase that
0: okay uh which conference has the most players drafted
1: I have to look at the raw numbers, but it just, it just feels like the SEC, like they're definitely getting two from Auburn, um, one from Kentucky, one from LSU, one to look two at from, from Bama. Ty Ty, oh yeah, we're, we're kind of you're not counting sharp, are you? Does Kentucky not in
0: sharp? And they like, so
1: is Cal? Is Calipari there? And is he is he calling him my guy, or is he just saying that about Ty Ty? Like, do (laughs) we get a Calipari interview? Do we get a Calipari interview, though, after Shaden Sharp gets drafted?
0: I don't know. I think... (laughs) I don't... I don't... I expect him to be... He normally sits at one player's table, no?
1: I feel like he rotates around. Like, Does he go go to
0: both tables? Like, is he at Shaden Sharp's table when he gets drafted in the top eight, top ten?
1: And that's the thing, too, is, like, Ty Ty is probably not going that high top in the top in the lottery. Like he will have time to go from shading to tie ties table if he wants to. So I'm super curious. Uh, yeah. I, now this is a storyline. I'm like really looking forward to the Calipari watch.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, also, it feels weird that there's only two Kentucky players that we're really talking about. I can't remember a time we've ever talked about less than like five. Uh, all right. This is the last one. And I think I know where you're going to go with it. I'm um, considering an answer to an earlier question. You can tie your life to one player in this draft, winning a Finals MVP. Who are you tying your life to? So you're factoring
1: yeah, in, it's, it's, you're it's factoring in,
0: but you're also factoring in who you think is gonna be a really good player.
1: Yeah, it's Jabari. He's my number one guy, and like I guess this is one last thing for Jabari over Paolo, is that, like I think Paolo like needs the ball more and needs to handle it more. And that kind of like handicaps you for your team building. Like you can't have a ball dominant point, like theoretically it's gonna to be tough to have a ball dominant point guard with Paolo cause he needs the ball. Um, whereas I think Jabari, he can play with like a facilitator and play off him a little bit better. So yeah, Jabari Smith's my number one guy. I, I love him um, as a prospect. I think, you know, I think he, it's unfair when people are like, oh, he's not like a true number one prospect. I, I think he is. I think he's fully deserving. I expect him to go number one. And in five years, I expect him to be the best player from this group.
0: On what team? Do you think he's still with the Magic?
1: Yeah, I think he's their best, like, as, as big of a Franz Wagner guy as I am, and I'm kind of eh on Jalen Suggs. He's their best asset. Like the team is now being built around him with Franz kind of in the shadows. It, he i think he'll be a magic for uh, an orlando and he, he strikes me as the kind of guy that isn't gonna like cry about his contract two years from now and request to be traded to the knicks or something like he strikes me as a guy that's gonna want to win there and grow there
0: all right i gotcha all right sam hopefully you had some fun you were able to uh kind of express some of your thoughts um throughout this and hopefully one of us nails uh, best and worst suit predictions. I think that might be our most popular conversation come Thursday night. So thanks for listening any final words, Sam.
1: No, uh, take care everyone. You know, with it's a down period right now, but we're looking at another episode out in the next week or two or so going back to Illinois stuff. Like this is no longer a draft podcast uh, after today. It's back to Illinois. So stay on the lookout for that, but yeah, thanks for listening. And I hope I look smart from now in a year, but I could look like an idiot. And that's the fun of this. It, you, I'm, I feel like I'm confident in what I watched and the notes I took and how I projected, but it's such a crapshoot and no one knows for sure. Um, But hopefully I got a few things, right.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to everyone. Make sure to tune into the NBA draft on Thursday night. So you can judge um, Sims big board as it goes through compared to how NBA GMs um, rank these players But thank you for listening, everyone. We appreciate it. Have a good one. We'll be back, hopefully, in the not-too-distant future to talk about the Big Ten and how crazy the top half of the league is going to be. Sim and I continue to argue about who the best team in the Big Ten is. So we're going to bring in a moderator uh, to separate the argument. Thank you for listening, everyone. Have a good one, and enjoy the rest of your week.